Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss streaming versus theaters. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today, we're going to take a break from doing actual movies and talk about probably the biggest discussion in the film industry in general with streaming versus theaters. We're going to go over everything we can think of in terms of topics when it comes to analytics, statistics, uh, opinions of famous directors and producers and filmmakers, pros and cons to each, the box office over the last two years. We're going to talk about it all, as well as take some questions from people who we asked about this subject in our Instagram. And streaming obviously has very much taken over many forms of the industry, and it started out slowly. And I think that for streaming, there are definitely a lot of pros and benefits and good things that came from it. But also, I believe that there are plenty of bad things, negative things that have affected the industry in terms of the experience of going to see a movie in a cinema with a crowded theater of strangers with a giant screen, amazing audio in that big dark room. The event, the experience, living that moment, like going to a live concert to see your favorite band, that is becoming a, a less experienced thing especially nowadays because of all the streaming on our TV. Absolutely. And before we continue, if you want to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, the best thing you can do is share us with your family and friends. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. You'll get personalized videos, podcast schedules, top tier patrons. Get a monthly shout out on the podcast, which we will do at the end of this episode. So stay tuned, top tier patrons, to hear your name later on. The best perk of all is all patrons have access to our bonus episodes, which we post every Wednesday now. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you're listening. Go to RaidersOfLostPodcast.com and check out all of our content and everything. And thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get into the like the intense discussion, what do you think is the best streaming service? The best streaming for, service? For movies. I would probably say Amazon because they have the benefit of you can rent so many different titles that a lot of other streaming platforms don't have. Like I think for it depends on also what you want. I think TV, Netflix before maybe 2020 was the best streaming platform for t TV, especially because they had The Office. And that was like my go-to for- <laughs> For you, it was the best. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was the best. But still, they had a ton of TV shows. Their movies have, I guess, gotten more, they've, got, gotten, they've added a larger catalog of films. But I still think their movies kind of lack. They've gotten a little better. But I still think Amazon is my go-to because, like I said, if they don't have the film, I can still usually rent it. That's a great point because in the renting price isn't that bad. It's only usually three ninety-nine. I would say is the average to make a rental. Yeah. So that's no problem. That's usually like I just I just do it on your account and I never <laughs> yeah, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while I get a Venmo, but I don't think it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, that's the same as renting a a blue a DVD or a VHS at Blockbuster. It was about four bucks to rent a movie so that is totally acceptable for a rental so i have no problem paying that and i would say that hulu maybe has overtaken tv viewing where i think they've gone very heavy into television they have some good movies but they are very heavy tv that platform and they also have live television live sports uh live musical events so they've really cat i think honed in on less movies and more tv and i think netflix their tv their movie content used to be good used to be very good actually but I think over the last five years, they've really diluted their quality of their movies and they've gone just to have 
the direction of let's get as many movies as we can afford and put them on this platform, whether they're good or not. So I think I agree with you. I agree with you. Amazon, I think, has a better selection. But also, I my favorite streamer is the small, very small Criterion Collection, which has the best selection of independent and foreign films. So that's, I think, the best streamer for quality over quantity. But if you're going to pay for something and you, and you don't know international film, you don't know classical film that well, Amazon, I think, is the best choice. Yeah, but when it comes to subscriptions, no one's even close to Netflix. They're the OG, and they have by far the most subscriptions. And Disney Plus is kind of close. And I guess you could say Amazon Prime sort of counts, but not really. But then, like, Hulu's not even in the same ballpark as Netflix for subscriptions. What are the numbers of subscriptions? The subscription numbers, I don't have off the top of my head. But hold on, I can pull up real quick if you talk about something else real quick. (laughs) Yeah, I could talk about it. And the thing is, it was amazing how it all started. I would say that the idea of streaming for movies and TV, it all began because of Napster. So Napster, obviously, we all know, famously changed the music industry. And we went from going to Tower Records, going to Newberry Comics to buy a new album or record and paying about 9 to 12 bucks based upon what the artist and if it was new or not. And that was a normal thing. You only had so much music on you. And... You always just bought the, your favorite band, so you had only a few dozen CDs or albums, or you borrowed from friends or, or burned CDs. But when Napster came out, and you were, could suddenly download all of the music ever made on your computer, that changed everything. And even though it did get shut down relatively quickly, it opened the door to something things like LimeWire, other apps that did the same thing, and then... By the time we were in middle school, high school, it was more normal to illegally download music through an app, burn it on a CD, and then have it without paying for it. And so people became very used to getting content for free. Yeah, and then pirating movies became like a culture in the film world and like teenagers and young adults who didn't want to have to pay to go see the movie sometimes they couldn't have access. They can just pirate it online. I'm not saying that I ever pirated a movie before, but I, I can tell you a lot of people <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've never I've never used Pirate Bay or if that's what it's called. But I got the numbers for, for subscribers. So Netflix is at 209 million subscriptions. Amazon Prime is 175 million. Then we have Tencent Video, 123, IQIY, 120 million. Disney Plus is 116 million. And then HBO Max, 675 million. Peacock, 54 million. Hulu is all the way down at 42 million, but it's still a lot. And then That's we have a lot. Paramount Plus is at 42 million. And so it just goes down from there. But still, like I say, no one's even really that close to Netflix besides Amazon Prime. But again, Amazon's kind of like... People don't get it just to watch Amazon Prime. Yeah, exactly. That comes with your entire... Pa- bundle of getting the two-day shipping and everything like that. Exactly. So back to the streaming idea, how it began. When was the last time you paid for an album of music? Oh, <laughs> I don't even know, man. It's like a decade. Exactly. So you're if a, if you are going to listen to music, you're going to go on Spotify. Absolutely. You're, you're going to pay the ten dollars subscri- uh, monthly payment. I'm actually on. Yeah. I'm on a buddy's. Well, my, I'm on a plan. <laughs> so you're not going to pay. For I don't it. even pay. I'm on a plan of somebody else's. I'm in there. I'm in there like T-Mobile Five. Okay. Well, I pay for my Spotify. Oh, it's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> and. The idea of paying for music, it seems like a ripoff now. It's crazy how it's happened. It's this mental trajectory of where the industries have gone where I don't want to pay for all the all this music because it would be way too much money to want to listen to everything I want to listen to. So we have been conformed into this new idea of thinking where let I want 
all all access to everything just for a small payment. And so Napster started that, and then Netflix began that with their initial um, DVDs out in the mail. You would get one to two to three DVDs out at a time, and we used that a lot. We thought that was the coolest thing yeah, ever. Yeah, they would ship a DVD to you in your mailbox, and then you'd take it out of the mailbox, rip, rip open the envelope, and be like, oh, awesome, good fellas. Sometimes it was scratched, and it would yeah. really play because it was DVDs. Yeah. And then when you're finished watching it, you would uh, seal it up and then put it in the mailbox again, and then they'd get it back, and then you'd have to wait in a long list for like the movie you wanted. You had to wait like two weeks for because they didn't have enough of the DVDs. So it was a cool service, and it was the very beginnings of what the genius of that company's process would end up becoming. And then they eventually went to streaming, uh, and then everyone followed suit. Once Netflix, uh, everyone said that when they became a streamer, it wouldn't work. Like, who's going to want to watch movies on a streaming no, website? No one could predict what happened. I mean, Blockbuster yeah. had the opportunity to buy Netflix for $50 million, and they laughed at that. They're like, why would we buy this weird DVD for ship thing? Like, And they didn't understand that like, yeah, we're Netflix. Ne we're, they're like, we're Blockbuster. No one understood. I bet Netflix didn't even understand what they could do with streaming. Absolutely not. Happen. It has to. It's like the social network. Like, they were just going day by day, and it was just exponentially growing. Mm -hmm. and, but what happened was it captured that idea that Napster created where – giving consumers access to everything just for a monthly payment and it became the standard to nowadays and the ironic thing is when we were younger in our entire lives we've had like you know you have cable with 500 channels and nothing to watch and you have all these movie channels and it's like 200 dollars for all this cable and like stars hbo and like we always used to say why can't we just have espn why can't we just have hbo yeah but and now we have that and everyone's still unhappy with it like <laughs> oh now i have to pay five dollars a month for that and now i have to pay six dollars for this it's like that's what we wanted that's what we have now and we're still not happy about it this episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's an embarrassment of riches, is what it is. Really? And we just can't get enough of the streaming, and it's taken a huge toll on the world of movie theaters and film in general, the industry has changed so much. And the thing about it is, I've always believed that this whole streaming platform dimension was gonna be inevitable. And it, the thing with COVID is the lockdowns and everything, the quarantines, it just expedited the process of us switching to these streaming platforms for a majority of the population for how they consume their entertainment. and. I think it was inevitable. It's the same thing with how remote work has changed so much in the last year and a half. People were still, people, there are companies that were doing remote work for some employees. I mean, we all knew that was happening at Google and a lot of startups, you know, work from home, come in the office sometimes. But now that's going to be the standard for a lot of businesses. And now so many employees have been living like that for a year and a half that they don't want to go back to a nine to five, getting in traffic and doing this. So the world exponential the the changes of the world expedited because of covid same thing with streaming platforms and you can compare the fall of movie theaters to the the horrible digression of real estate in terms of office space so skyscrapers filled with office buildings all these floors of offices all the people that own these buildings they are they have lost billions, maybe even trillions in total because the office space is not being rented anymore. A lot of it isn't going to be used anymore. So now there's all this empty square footage because companies have learned that we can save a ton of money, like a ton of money 
if we don't have to rent out space for the employees to actually physically work in and have a place to go, we could just have them work from home. They can do the same amount of work on their own, like comfortably from home. And we save millions without having to rent anything. So it has changed every industry, but I think very much so the workplace environment and also cinema going experience. And it's obviously, this has been a huge con for movie theaters in general. There hasn't been a single benefit or pro to the movie theater experience, you could say, or the industry for those kinds of businesses. For example, right before COVID, since 2012, every year was the best year in box office history worldwide. And 2019 was the greatest history in box office accumulation worldwide with 42.5 billion globally. And when that's just 11.4 billion in the United States and Canada, which is incredible for film, for jobs, for economies, for everything. It's, it's, it's such a great thing to happen. And then 2020 with COVID generated 6 billion globally. So it's like, what, that's 80% dive wow. yeah, down? That's an Obviously, that was lockdown, but 2021 hasn't been as generous either. So it's been around the same. And we have I got a bunch of analytics from this great article by Brandon Katz of The Observer, and he came up with that as well. And so there's just so many so many pros and cons here that even studios, I think they, they're still treading water. They might seem like they're making a lot of money, they're still they still are, but they're they're coughing up a ton of cheddar cheese to not releasing their films in theaters because again, box office, that's forty two billion dollars they're missing out on. And the thing is the thing with box office, and a lot of people don't really understand uh, how the money is divided. So when a major movie is released in theaters, so say like uh, a new Marvel movie comes out. So like say like a Doctor Strange comes out, the opening weekend, the first week of release, and especially the opening weekend, uh, it's divided between the studio and the movie theater exhibitors, 70-30. Uh, and then after that, the next week, it goes down to like 60-40. And then the next week, it's about 50-50. And then the next week, it reverses to like 40-60. And so the the first two weeks of release, and especially the first weekend of a movie, is when the studios make the most amount of money possible. Because the longer a movie is released in, in theaters the more percentage of the profit the movie theaters end up getting over time. So movie theaters love long-running movies that stay in theaters for a long time because mm -hmm. after a month, they're making a majority of the profits, whereas the studio, they make most of the profits in the first few weeks of release. All right, let's get into some more analytics too. So domestic ticket sales year-to-date in 2021 are still 38% behind the same span in 2020. So performance is even worse than last year in 2020. And this is an interesting uh, paragraph right here. Universal earned more than $500 million in 2020 in PVOD revenue from 10 films. Yet Trolls World Tour accounted for roughly one-fifth of that total. The film surpassed Avengers Endgame as the highest grossing PVOD title in history with north of a hundred million dollars that so that's what that made in video on demand and so that was that was not in theaters at all no okay and then endgame generated 800 million dollars in theatrical profits alone that's almost a billion just from the box office the 10 most profitable films across 2018 and 2019 all yielded returns of at least 400 million dollars to their respective studios that doesn't even account for revenue generated from secondary windows such as est vod dvd blu-ray and eventual svod sales and meanwhile, SVOD only films lacking lack staying power with the average movie grossing with the average movie losing 63% viewership per day from week one to week two, according to entertainment strategy guys. So these movies that come out only on on demand 
after they're losing 63% viewership from week one to week two. And now usually if you have a great movie that comes out the second weekend, it should only drop about 25 to 30%. So the movie gets most of the butts in the seats in the in the first week, and then the second week it still does well, but obviously drops to about um, two thirds of that. But it will never drop to sixty five percent unless it was a horrible, horribly word of mouth, terribly reviewed film. But it never that is very rare. Like a movie like The Avengers, it will make two hundred million opening weekend, the first weekend, and then the second weekend it'll still make a ton of money over that next week's span, so the viewership doesn't really drop that much. And also, a movie like Avengers, that's still going to make millions and millions of dollars every year for the rest of existence, pretty much. You know, that's what's so great about a movie, especially like that, because it's such an event. But I'll, I'll tell you real quick why that happens, why the difference is, because VOD, there are so many choices. So if you don't watch, if people aren't going to watch Trolls the first week it comes out, they're probably never going to get around to it because there are so many other titles, whereas in a theater, only a few movies get released every weekend, and so there aren't that many choices to see in a cinema. And you have more motivation to go, oh, it's only here for three weeks, we better go see it before it's out of theaters, versus interest in streaming services, only original films. So like if a Netflix movie comes out or a Hulu original comes out with only the release on the platform digitally, there's virtually no interest in it at all, no clicks or nothing after five months. Whereas a film like, like I said, Avengers that comes out, or even just any movie that comes out in theaters and then comes to streaming, that still has interest in it for years and years to come. It's because of the experience. When you don't have the, the enticement of going to the event, like I said earlier, the event-like experience of seeing it in a theater with a bunch of people, like what, like, there's nothing better than like watching a really funny movie with a packed audience and the entire crowd is laughing together or you're watching a really thrilling like big budget blockbuster and everyone is so into it or like like when Captain America gets Thor's hammer the entire crowd erupted yeah you, you remember crazy. that you, yeah. you remember the experience and so when you see the title on VOD years later you're like I love that movie because I had so much fun seeing it in a theater I'm going to watch it again and again. Whereas if you see it in VOD sitting on your couch on a 32-inch screen scrolling through Instagram and TikTok every other minute, you're not going to have an experience with that movie that is memorable. And so you're less likely to have any kind of connection to it or desire to ever want to watch it again. Yeah, exactly. Like when we just saw The Green Knight a couple of weeks ago in theaters, that was such a great experience. But I can still like think back and like transport myself into the theater and that experience and how special it was to be in a packed theater to see such a great film. But now, is there a way, are platforms like getting- Hold on, I want to get to one more thing about ticket sales. I'm hey, sorry. Hey, you, you get Before to ticket you go sales. Into that, because this actually uh, adds on to it. So you, go, okay. go for it, pal. And so the reason why studios- so studios panicked during the pandemic, obviously. They're like, what's going to happen? We don't know. We can't release theaters. And so they just started releasing a VOD. And even though the streaming numbers were high, the profits were extremely low for what they're used to because when a movie's rented or purchased online, it's an average of three or four people are watching that. And it's a $20, $25 rental. When you go to a theater, so like say it's a Pixar movie or a Marvel movie, you have a family of five going to the theater, spending between twelve to twenty dollars per ticket. Well, kids' tickets are cheaper. Okay, okay, so maybe so going to the theater with a family of five probably like fifty bucks, easy. Yeah, at least for the, in 
in terms of twenty dollars for the entire rental on VOD, just ticket wise. So the, the the ticket sales are really where they make most of their money, and VOD has no way of ever competing with that. Exactly. So I think a lot of people are confused. Do these streaming platforms get paid per click or per view? They do not. So for example, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America that came out on VOD, I believe it was Amazon, right? Yep. And it garnered 41.6 million hours watched in its first month of, avail- of availability per Nielsen data, which is phenomenal. That's a ton of people viewing the entire film. But even though as impressive as that is, there's no additional money that came to the studios or to Paramount who sold that movie to Amazon Prime in terms of all that time watched. They didn't make any extra money off it because that was already for people who were subscribed to Amazon Prime. Yeah, so what happens is... And, and Paramount sold it to them because they were supposed to release that during the pandemic. So Paramount was like, we need to get rid of this because we have no way of releasing it in a year because we have so many other titles that we are planning to release. So they sold it to Amazon. Amazon bought it for, I think, $150 million, maybe a little higher, but I think it was around $150 million. And so Amazon basically buys the movie and they own it now. It's their movie. And like you said, they're not making more money off of it. What they have it for and the reason why they purchased it was just to add to their library, just to have one more one more thumbnail for people to click on to keep them on their streaming website rather than having someone else stray over to Netflix or Hulu. So it's all about competing with the other streamers by having more enticing content for people to watch. Yeah, so VOD and SVOD, which is subscription video on demand, that's, that's what we're referring to is they're making their money off of monthly subscriptions you know so wonder woman 84 that was the first film to do a dual release that was released in theaters and vod online at the same time and we actually we actually watched it christmas day christmas day from our couch so we actually rented that movie and so i guess you could say that was the first experiment to do that however it's still in terms of like you're not getting paid per view. You're not getting paid, paid per click. It's You're depending on monthly subscriptions, which I, which I think in the short run, because so many people are running to subscribe to all these platforms and, and VOD services, that it's beneficial and they're actually making some decent money because according to Lightshed Partners, SVOD subscribers will nearly double from roughly $650 million worldwide at the end of 2020 to $1.25 billion by the end of 2024. So that's how many people subscribe to online service VOD services. And I'm curious how many people have subscriptions that they don't even use or forget I'm they... I'm going to delete my Netflix. Yeah. I haven't used Netflix yeah. in two months. It's, or, it's weird. Or forget they even have. Yeah. I forgot I had ESPN+. Plus. And I forgot that I had stars until my I lost my wallet and I had to redo the subscriptions. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going back to ESPN Plus. I don't need to spend that six dollars a month. Yeah. So there's a I, I'm I'm a person who forgot I had sub- subscriptions. So I'm sure there are tens of millions of people who also have these subscriptions that they don't they didn't even watch or use or remember about. So by 2025, SVOD services are projected to generate 85 billion in global revenues per the wall street journal and even though that's a ton of money streaming still can't replicate the immediate cash infusion of a box office hit like frozen 2 which delivered disney nearly 600 million dollars in theatrical profit from in 2019 as well as an estimated 80 million plus and million in 80 plus million in domestic home market sales so it's it's really hard to replicate how much money they can actually make and again i'm referencing brandon katz of the observer with these statistics but also so take frozen so it made a a, a crazy amount of money for the studio 
um, because of its theatrical run. But also, that movie was very special for kids. That movie became a cultural phenomenon. Now, that not w- that would not have happened if it was released on Disney+. Plus. Completely agree. So every movie that's been released on Disney+, Plus, Luca, the other Pixar movie, um, Soul, um, a few others. Uh, um, what's the uh, Lady and the Tramp was released on Disney+. Plus. Various, not in the zeitgeist, not in popular culture. Like pe- uh, People watched them and forgot about them. Yeah. But kids seeing Frozen in theaters it's magical for them you, you i remember seeing like things like pocahontas as a kid and other great kids movies and just being totally blown away and stunned by this big screen and the amazing sound and it's a it's, it's even kids recognize the difference between going to a theater and watching something on their tv now what that did what frozen did which no other no streaming movie can ever do disney made probably five times as much money on merchandise from frozen they made billions from the merchandise. There would not be any merchandise for Frozen sold if it was released on Disney+. Plus. Well, it'd sell some merchandise. Some merchandise, <laughs> but it, not, it would not have become the cultural phenomenon. Every kid was singing that song. Probably not. So our niece, she had probably a, at least a dozen different items of merchandise from Frozen. Disney got like $200 from our brother just from the merchandise. <laughs> so things like that, studios want the, our understanding like... They're not having that cultural experience from VOD. magical experience. Yeah, exactly, it's, it's, you're transporting. You're being transported into the world, and I think we should talk about why movie theaters are so important in that experience in a minute. Because if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I we have some new laptops on our desk, and these are courtesy of LG. These are the 17-inch LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing about them is they're 16 times 10 aspect ratio versus the usual 16 times 9, meaning more vertical space, which is useful for editing and reading notes for our show and referring to our topic. Not to mention, they are shockingly light. It's like holding a cloud or a piece of cardboard. It's incredible. You wouldn't believe it until you felt it. So definitely check these laptops out if you're in the market. We'll put links to the LG Gram 16 and 17-inch models in our bio on YouTube. Thank you, LG, for the LG Gram laptops and for sponsoring the show. So now, why are movie theaters so important and Why is it something that I think we have to try to keep alive as a society and a culture? And I think what we were just talking about with Frozen is the experience of going to the cinema, going to a movie theater, and watching an epic film, whatever genre it is, whatever you're into, it's uncomparable. Nothing matches that magical time that you're there for an hour and a half, two hours, the entire experience. Nothing really competes with that world in being transported into some other environment, you know, watching even just Jungle Cruise. If you see that in theaters, you're with The Rock and Emily Blunt. Or if you watch Avengers, you feel like you're on the team. You feel like you're there with these characters in this in this fake fictional, superb world. But whereas, if like we say, if you watch Frozen at home, if that comes out VOD, does it have the same impact on children and culture? The thing is, that's exactly right. And films and cinema, it's the greatest form of art that's been created because it combines uh, writing, it combines physical performance, it combines audio and visual experience, audio and visual experience for the audience. And it is the ultimate uh, way of portraying humanity in any kind of art form. It is storytelling is our greatest art form and the evolution into filmmaking is the the apex mountain of what storytelling can do. It's the oldest art. Yeah. Storytelling is the oldest art form. And 
cinema, like you said, has the transformative experience of putting you into that world. The, the reason why you feel transported is because the screen is massive and the audio is insane and you're surrounded by darkness and you're not distracted by anything. Hopefully you have your phone off when you go to theaters, people. Yeah. Most people do and they don't look at their phone, but when you watch a movie at home, you know, your phone's right next to you or it's on the coffee table in front of you or even if it's, it might be in your hand. You're, getting, you're not gonna turn your alerts off. Most people won't turn their alerts off at home because they're at home as opposed to being in a movie theater. So they're constantly allowing themselves to be distracted while they're watching a movie or watching a TV show. Also, it's a television screen or a laptop or even your phone. And unless you have a, a dope sound system, the audio is not going to be even remotely close to what is, is in a cinema. And so you're not going to be transformed by watching movies at home compared to a theater, not even the same ballpark. Yeah, we're not judging people if you like watch movies on your phone, if you like watching movies in the living room, we yeah. watch movies in our living room all the time. Yeah. Whatever. It's your life. You live it how you want. Don't tell us. Don't let us tell you how to watch movies. If you like wearing your earpod AirPods and <laughs> watching Netflix in your room on your on your iPhone 11, go for it, bud. You do you. But what we're saying is nothing in the world can transport your mind, bring realism to your world like a film can in a theater, lights out. It's just incomparable and will movies as we know them die i think that's a really big question people keep asking us and i think if theaters are eliminated that cinema will eventually die as we know it obviously movies will still come out but i don't think they'll be of the same quality they won't take the same risks they'll kind of we're kind of experiencing like all we'll experience like a corporate takeover you could say if you want like if you watch the movie casino like the end of the movie, they talk about how corporations took over everything and like Vegas lost its like soul in a way. And now we just have these giant hotels. I think that would happen to film. I mean, we're kind of seeing well, that, it. That already has happened. That's what I mean. We're kind of seeing it with like a lot of these streaming service original titles. I compare it a lot of them to like network television. The quality of the filmmaking is like, let's just do it quick. Let's get it done. Throw a light over there. Obviously, we have great filmmakers like Martin Scorsese. He's work, he worked with Netflix, but that was also released in theaters, The Irishman. He's working with Apple TV for Killers of the Flower Moon, but that's also being released by Paramount in theaters as well. So he's been walking the line of VOD and theatrical release at the same time, whereas other filmmakers like Tarantino and Nolan, they will never, ever, ever, I think, do a deal where their movies are released on VOD at the same time as theaters. I think that the, the evidence of 2020 points to the fact that theaters are not going to die. They will dwindle a little bit. But a lot of them have, unfortunately, yeah. though. And and one of our favorites, uh, Chains Arclight, has closed in Los Angeles and California. It's a, it's a, it's a great theater chain. And I miss it so much, man. Those yeah. seats are so comfy. It was, it was a perfect theater. Three trailers, big screen, great sound. Huge everything, cinemas. Everything you want. But the studios learn how much money they lost by not releasing at theaters. So I think that Theaters aren't going to die, but also what what's changing is, like you said, the casino reference where all these great casinos turned into basically like amusement parks for families. Um, so that's happening with movies where if you look at the 70s, 80s, 60s, like before the 2000s, the highest grossing movies each year were not blockbuster, extravagant action, superheroes, superpowers. You know, movies like The French Connection was the highest grossing movie that year. 
The Exorcist was the highest grossing movie that year. Movies like that were being seen by wide audiences. But what happened is those kinds of movies have now become the independent art house genre of films. Movies like The Green Knight that we just saw. So Silence of the Lambs was the highest grossing movie of its year. So so Silence of the Lambs today, if that came out, it would be considered an art house film, which is so odd. And it would make maybe $15 million. Yeah. And get nominations, but not many people would see it. So what's happened is the big movies are these temple superheroes. Like the last 10 movies to be the top grossing movie each year was has been like Transformers, Marvel, Transformers, Marvel, Star Wars, Marvel, Star Wars, Marvel, Transformers, Marvel. That's it. Those are the top grossing movies every year for the last decade. So that's what's changed about the film industry where studios are relying on comic books, franchises to get their money. And now the old successful blockbusters are now considered independent films. Yeah, that's a great point that you brought up that studios, even though they might seem like they're not, they're actually losing money with the subscription services too. So the analytical firm Moffat Nathanson estimated that Warren Brothers' decision to open its entire 2021 film slate day to date on HBO Max, meaning it would release their films at the same time in theaters and on HBO Max on the same day, cost the company at least $1.2 billion in revenue for the year, with HBO Max's monthly average revenue per user, ARPU, approaching $12. That's per month, $144 annually. The streamer would need to add 8.3 million new subscribers this year to cover that loss. And as of eight, late April, HBO Max was on pace for more than 11 million new subs in 2021. So it seems like they'll probably account for that loss, but still, no, it, it maybe the pandemic has made people subscribe. And then when people start going to theaters again, they're going to unsubscribe. Probably. Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe to HBO Max. I mean, we'll probably unsubscribe so eventually. So those, those projections, I don't think should qualify because of how unique of a situation 2020 was. But Netflix is the only major streaming service that has still reached the scale and is generating cash off its streaming service because, again, it has over 200 million subscribers. But Netflix was losing money for years. Yeah. They were losing billions of dollars per years, and other studios can't afford to do that because Netflix was borrowing money based upon their proof of concept of their business, and then they eventually broke over that plateau and began profiting only but Warner Brothers Paramount like they can't afford to lose money every year for a long period of time and the thing with the studios and how they all like immediately launched their platforms online because of COVID again it expedited the process they were going to do this stuff eventually but they had to do it rapidly so now studios you could say are double dipping where they're both getting profits from the theaters as well as getting more profits from the subscriptions in terms of their cuts so when they're getting money from theaters it's more of like it's close to a 50 50 split with exhibitors versus when they're releasing their content only online they're getting like 80 percent plus of that profit that they have to just split with their production companies that they either purchase it from or made the films with so really the people who are again who are hurting are movie theaters and these businesses and employees who have lost their jobs because of you know theaters going out of business or you don't have enough money to keep as many people on and i think that some people might be confused about why certain movies and TV shows are on Netflix, why they're on Amazon, why certain ones are on HBO Max, why certain ones are on Hulu. 
And what happened was when Netflix became extremely prominent and then Amazon Prime started streaming and then when Hulu started streaming, what they would do is they would license content. So they would license a movie from Warner Brothers for two years. They would buy the movie for two years. It's like they would put it on their platform. That's why The Office left and went to Peacock because their licensing expired and then Pe and then NBC was like, I'm keeping this. It's my diamond in the rough. So that's for why real. that's why it went to Peacock. So Netflix is before they started making their own original content, Netflix, Hulu and Amazon, they were licensing movies and television shows from the studios. And now and so that's why Netflix has been super heavy on original content. Um, Amazon too for the last five years of making their own content because they knew that the studios were making their own streamers and would want their titles back once the licenses um, expired. Yeah, that's actually a great point. But again, I think the quality of the original VOD releases isn't even, even really close to what these production studios have been doing for the last hundred years. I would say in terms of Netflix, the only great things they've done have been The Crown, um, House of Cards. What are you talking about, TV Yeah, in well, actually, But in movies, I can't, I don't Well, know. the movies, they they do have some good ones. Yeah. Like The Irishman, obviously, Scorsese made that. Yeah. I think The King... Outlaw King, two very underrated movies. Mm -hmm. um, Roma was a Netflix production. Yeah. So there's a ton of great benefits to the streaming platforms. I think obviously we're getting more diverse films, more representation in film that we weren't getting. Stories that would never have been told if they were just being theatrically released because they wouldn't have gotten budgets from studios. But whereas these streaming services like Netflix have boats full of cash, they have bunkers of cash there's handing it out to anyone like oh you got a story to tell you got a story to tell you got a story to tell that's the benefit of it is i think a lot of creators are, and actors and storytellers are getting opportunities that they definitely weren't before this revolution of streaming yeah that's true because roma wouldn't have gotten the budget that quaron wanted same thing with the irishman and netflix did these things and gave all this money to these filmmakers even if like the titles weren't popular for streaming because they wanted the notoriety of Oscar nominations. Like when their movie started getting nominated for Oscars, that made people like look at Netflix in a different way. And isn't and, isn't Beale Street a Netflix production too? I believe it is. Beale Street is, yeah. 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 And so all, all these filmmakers were like, okay, Netflix seems to like be a real deal, but also they are a great thing. A, a great thing about Netflix is they um, allow filmmakers to have creative control over their projects and let them do whatever they want. Well, right? streaming platforms in general. Yeah, yeah, all of them do for the most part, whereas studios have infamously been very meddling in terms of uh, fighting with filmmakers about creative differences. A great example of that where filmmakers and storytellers are able to retain their entire artistic vision for their films and their projects has to be Zack Snyder's Justice League. You know, we're not going to get a four-hour and five-minute movie released in theaters. You're not going to get his entire vision. I'm sure he wanted to do six hours, but they were like, come <laughs> on, come on, you cut some stuff out. But we wouldn't have gotten that amazing four-hour film from in the aspect ratio he wanted to do, also the black-and-white version, without streaming platforms. So there are pros where I think, you know, artists are getting to see what they exactly want. You know, studios are less likely to handcuff them with their decisions of what they're making on the film. And there also has been controversy in terms of the decisions to stream at the same time as release. And most famously, this happened because, uh, for a movie that's not coming out until October 15th, I believe, the second week in October, and that's Dune. Denis Villeneuve's new film starring uh, Timothy Chalamet. And this movie was originally in the contract supposed to be a theatrical release. 
obviously things arose with the pandemic. So Warner Brothers and HBO Max panicked and they did this release same day streaming and theatrical. And they still are sticking to their guns of same day release. And the filmmakers are very unhappy. This happened with a bunch of the HBO Max titles over the past year and for the next upcoming year because they have committed to releasing on day of for the next year and a half. And this is why Chris Nolan left Warner Brothers. Yeah, this into 2022, they're still going to be doing release VOD and theater at the same day. And what this is doing is it's affecting how many people are actually going to go see the film. Now, I don't understand why Warner Brothers thinks that it's still a good idea to do this when you see that movies over the past couple months have been generating a ton of money and have been succeeding at the theaters. Not gigantic box offices, but 60 mil for an opening weekend is fantastic. That's excellent. Even 30 mil, very, very good. And so filmmakers who want their films to be shown in theaters are obviously very unhappy that Warner Brothers has decided to go straight streaming. And this infamously is why Chris Nolan had a falling out with Warner Brothers, who has produced all of his films since uh, Insomnia. And I believe Denis Villeneuve, after Dune, and he'll probably make the second one, but I don't think he'll make another movie with Warner Brothers if they do this. So it's going to negatively affect their relationships with filmmakers who want to do that theatrical release. I think that they just don't want to alienate people who either don't want to go to the theater or can't go to the theater, whether, you know, a benefit to streaming is, you know, people with chronic illness, people with disabilities, it's much easier for them to see films. They don't have to make it to the theater. Um, You know, people with COVID, whether or not they've been vaccinated, I think a lot of people are still wary to go out in public, despite their, if it's a safe environment or not. I think they just won't leave their homes still for a while. You know, people are busy with lives. They have families. They have lots going on. So, you know, it's easier to see a film at home. Um, but a movie like Dune, that's a movie, it's an incredible epic, enormous production. It's going to be the best production of the year. You know, the people working on this movie, they put four years of work into it. And I think it's a movie that deserves to be seen in theaters because that's how it's made. It's made to be seen in theaters. It's made to be seen on a giant screen. And I don't understand why they don't just go the route where it's the 45-day theatrical release and then it's on streaming platforms. And that seems to be, I think, the smartest thing to do going forward. You know, have it for a month in theaters, at least three weeks in theaters. So the people who worked on the film, who put their souls and lives into it for several years, they actually, they it seems like it was for a reason rather than losing the purpose of it in a way for it just to be streamed online. Yeah, and 45 days for those who don't feel comfortable or are incapable of going to the theater, that's not that long of a wait. You know, that's just, you know, a few weeks. That's fine. It's not like it used to be where a movie would leave theaters and then three months later, then it would come out on DVD. So that's a very short wait. And Disney also uh, has faced controversy and legal action from Scarlett Johansson famously for doing the day of release, both streaming and theatrically, because... It cost her, I would guess, a Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. I would guess it cost her 25 to $30 million of her own money from Probably. paycheck. She was getting back in for box office. Yeah, and Emma Stone apparently is preparing a legal battle for Cruella for doing the same thing with that film. And I think that Disney learned from those in those two legal battles as well as the lack of money they made that they have to do the 
40-day theatrical window first. So that's what they're going to do from now on. And I think that every streamer should probably adopt something similar. Yeah. Want to head into our intermission? We'll take yeah. a little break from... Yeah. This has been a great conversation. It's, but been, it's been a wonderful let's, conversation. Let's tone it down a little bit. And so we'll have some fun. Let's and lighten it up. We're going to go into our intermission and uh, we'll do some fun movie games. First one's going to be our movie quote competition. I have two. One from a fan named Jake. What's, What's up, me? Jake? This is Jake's quote. There's something out there waiting for us and it ain't no man. Oh, that's a good one. <sighs> Can you say it again? There's something out there waiting for us, and it ain't no man. Predator. Yeah. Nice, nice job, guy. Thanks. Nice job. This one's a little tougher. Well, you might be able to get it. You're, you're a wicked smart guy. I just got the first one. All right, ready? No, I'm not ready. Okay, I'm ready. It's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? <laughs> I like your delivery. Thanks. Try to nail it. <laughs> Can you say it again? It's too bad she won't live, but then again... Who does? I don't know. Blade Runner. It's Gaff. Oh, Gaff. His, uh, his yeah, blood with the, yeah. with the facial yeah, hair and yeah. origami. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, your turn. Good one. Okay. I'm trying to do the obscure ones lately. Oh, super obscure. That's pretty obscure. Yeah. Like when people think of a Blade Runner quote, they That's don't think of that. That's not what I thought that. of. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to challenge me. Seeing what you got. All right, go for it. Here's my quote. No, I shot him. The bullets in the fall killed him. Say it again. No, I shot him. The bullets in the fall killed him. The bullets in the fall killed him. Yeah. The first character asks, says, you killed him. And so this character says, no, I shot him. The bullets in the fall killed him. Uh, I don't know. Collateral. Oh, good Vincent. one. Yeah. That's such a good movie. Yeah, it's great Tom's movie. awesome in that movie. Yeah. So is in Jamie. Yeah. All right. Guess this movie release year. Layer Cake. 2004. Nice. Come on, play. Yeah. Easy peasy. Good job. Here's my movie release here. Days of Thunder. Oh, Tommy. Again. 1988. I did not write it down. <laughs> <laughs> I just put Days of Thunder. Oh my god. Did you not <laughs> You're not right I'll... though. It was early 80s. I'll I'll look it up. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> 1990. 1990. You didn't even. Uh, early I, didn't, I 80s. was off. I was off. Wow. My bad. I came prepared for work today. How about you? <laughs> I just I'm wrote... the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> who the F are you? I just wrote movie release year, <laughs> Days of Thunder. <laughs> would be, that would be a cool one to look up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> movie pop quiz time. In Fight Club, who owns the bar where in the basement the fight clubs are held? Hmm. Oh, what's his name? I thought you would get this immediately. Sal. No. Mel? No. Oh man. I can't believe you don't you don't get this. We do the quote all the I time. Know, I can't please let us keep it Lou. Yeah, you don't Lou. know where I've been, Lou. <laughs> you don't know where I've been. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't Lou. get the first try. Uh, sucks to suck. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was some like like Truck driver name. <laughs> truck drivers listening right now are like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> His name's probably Sal. My name's not Lou or Sal or Mo. It's Bert. <laughs> it's Herb, <laughs> our bus driver. Hey, man, we have truck drivers listen to us. Truck drivers are cool. Truck drivers make uh, the world go round. They really do. They Everything you get was delivered on a truck. I hope you enjoyed those avocados. The truck driver brought them to you. Everything, everything was delivered by trucks. Okay. Most most underappreciated people in America. Possibly. It is the most important. Possibly. It's the one of the most important jobs in in the country. 
All right, let's move on. That's not what this podcast is about. I'm <laughs> <laughs> getting very passionate. All right, here's my pop quiz question. What is Andy Dwyer's alter ego, his FBI agent? Andy Dwyer's alter ego. It's an FBI agent. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> He's blanking, guys. Ah, what is it? Burt Macklin. Oh my God! Burt Macklin's on the case. Ah, Burt Macklin, FBI. <laughs> Damn, that was a tough one. I've only been through Parks and Rec once, so I'm not super. I'm like, sounds like you're making an excuse. I am making an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I thought that was obvious. All right, who's our biggest hater of the week? I got. Besides TikTok for blocking us and banning us for forty. <laughs> yeah, again. once again. We're about to lose our TikToking out, guys. So yeah. please follow our backup, which is Raiders of Lost Podcast too, because we just got banned for five days and we can't like, comment, or post anything. So it's going well. Yeah, <laughs> we love TikTok. It's been a great week. Yeah, you know, it only is the source of all of our marketing, but you know, <laughs> yeah, thanks. We're gonna lose all that revenue too. All right. Okay. Here's our our hater of the week. It was on a mummy clip. Sam Alex who dis uh, commented, "You guys didn't even talk about the scene where O'Connell throws the chair at Benny." Unsubscribe. <laughs> I love our fans. <laughs> Unsubscribed. I love that he he listened to the whole podcast and and he's probably waiting for that. <laughs> they didn't mention it. <laughs> got anything else? Uh, no, not for haters. All right, cool. We got two supporters, two great five star reviews on the podcast. The first one is Ian, that bourbon guy. Ian's been a fan for a while. He's been a patron oh, yeah. for a while. We love Ian. So thanks for leaving a five star review, pal. The only movie podcast I listened to. Been following James and Anthony from the beginning, but didn't have iTunes to review. Seriously, it's taken me years to find a movie podcast I didn't. I don't get annoyed with. You guys are the best. <laughs> Keep it up. Thanks, Ian. That's actually why we started this podcast, because yeah. all the other ones annoyed us, too. <laughs> uh, and then we have B-Bomber. The boys. Yay. Since no one asked me, what's in the box? What's in the box? Well, I'll be flip. I'll flipping tell ya. I love how you kept it PG, too. A hilarious brother duo with a love for cinema and all things movies. They present the theatrical world in a fun and entertaining way that makes long trips in the car a breeze. I find myself laughing just as hard as if I'm in the same room. Aww. With any hesitation, without any hesitation, this show is wicked good, my guy. Five out of five stars. That's a wicked pistol review, kid. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you guys making the Apple counts just to leave those five-star reviews. Yeah, that's, that's actually awesome. that's so amazing. It, I wish yeah. you could leave reviews on Spotify and stuff, yeah. but you just can't. On this day in film history, it's September 9th, 1956, Elvis Presley appears on The Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. 2001, Band of Brothers, based on the book by Stephen E. Ambrose, created by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, premieres. And for birthdays, we have Hugh Grant, Adam Sandler, and Michelle Williams. That's a great list of birthdays. What do you got for a streaming recommendation? I have Patterson, which stars... Um, Adam Driver. <laughs> I was going to say, it's Sal, Sal Driver. <laughs> Did you pull another Days of Thunder? I but movie. <laughs> I was like, what's his name? That was like me with Andy Dwyer. Yeah. My, my brain just went white. <laughs> but it's, it's a really great independent film uh, about uh, a local bus driver in a small town who's like, you know, coming to terms with life and he's a he loves poetry he loves to write and it's a really sweet endearing small film i really like it yeah it's really good because because yeah. driver's been doing so many different kinds of roles it seems like he does like five movies a year yeah and they're all always really good he's on fire this one's just like kind of like a different like small indie feel and i love that the performance he gives it's very you know soft and 
and like, passionate. You know, it's it's great. It is soft and passionate. <laughs> That's why I, thought you, I used those words. <laughs> but <laughs> speaking of streaming, it's soft and passionate. <laughs> it's like it's like the ultimate lover. It just cracked I me up. I am soft and passionate. <laughs> Love Antonio Banderas. <laughs> All right. St- speaking of streaming, a lot of streaming means you know we've been not leaving the home much, so we got to start taking care of ourselves now that the world's opening up. And so head on over to our. Fantastic sponsors, manscaped.com, to get the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Anthony and I have been using these now for a couple months, the 4.0 trimmer. We got the exclusive advanced versions of it, so we've had them for a we're, little while. We're big deals, guys. And they're pretty epic. This brand new groomer is waterproof. It's skin safe, 7,000 RPM, wireless charger, built-in light. You can literally use this in the shower in the dark if you want. I don't recommend it. You might injure yourself, but it's skin safe, so you won't hurt yourself that way. Fellas, you got to get on Manscaped. Everyone listening, if you need to get a gift for the man in your life, you don't know what to get them for like an anniversary, a birthday, uh, can you please take this hint and clean yourself up? It's been several months gift. Those are the best ones. Head on to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. I recommend their performance 4.0 packages. It's a bundle of stuff. Can't go wrong. Anyways, <laughs> tell us some movie poster stuff, Val. Our amazing sponsor, MoviePosters.com, has an amazing coupon code for you to use. It's an amazing code. It's amazing. <laughs> Did you blank on that too? Yeah. <laughs> Raiders 15 I wasn't, off. I, wasn't, I didn't know I was going to be doing an ad, but I got it. I got it. Use our coupon code, Raiders 15 off. <laughs> You're going to be doing an ad? I forgot. Do it every time we film. <laughs> Anyways, I'm the guy who does his job. <laughs> Raiders 15 off gets you 15% off your order at moviepotions.com. They have a wide array of selections from any kind of movie you can think of, all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting. Moviepotions.com has all your poster needs. Check out our set on YouTube. You'll see that our walls are covered with these amazing posters. High quality. Don't go to Amazon. I know it's free shipping, but it is not even close to how amazing these posters look. Again, use our promo code Raiders15OFF to get 15% off your order at movieposters.com. So something that I want to talk about is the idea of with streaming, when movies get released on streaming platforms only, we don't really know for sure whether something is really great or very successful. You know, streamers like Netflix and Amazon, they'll be like, oh, we, we hit so many views of this movie. Like that Chris Hemsworth movie Extraction like broke all their records and then the Tomorrow War broke all of Amazon's records and we don't even know what the records are. And we don't even know what constitutes an actual movie viewing because does do they count someone who watches a movie for one minute and then turns it off? I think it's like to the it's like somewhere between one and three minutes watched. One and three minutes. Something like that. So three minutes get, counts. They, they can yeah. register that as, yeah, a, as a view. That's a view. So we can't even really fully trust like these streaming numbers because especially when they have titles that play on their own especially when people will just click on a thumbnail just because they like the thumbnail be like oh that seems like okay and then they watch a minute of it and like oh no i'm not into it and then they'll watch something else but they'll still count that as a view whereas when a movie is released in the box office if it makes 500 million dollars if it makes a billion dollars it's a hit you know we know it's a hit we have the proof of it being successful of a lot of people enjoying it and watching the entire movie 
All right. Two minutes of view time. That two minutes view. counts just as a view. It, just looked it up. They should count at least half. If they, I guarantee you that if they change that to an hour, the view count would be exponentially lower. Yeah, like 60% lower. Exactly. So the whenever a, a streamer's like, oh, Extraction got 89 million views in its opening weekend of release on Netflix, it's like, yeah, but how many people are, watch- bo- are bots too? Yeah, how many are bots and how many of those people watch the movie all the way through? I guarantee it's minuscule numbers. So we don't really understand or know when a movie is great anymore because we don't know what the performance actually is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you know, a, a, a movie's a hit in box office, you know, you have an idea of like, oh, that must be, that it must be pretty good at least if all these people saw it. Get Out's a great example of that. $3 million move budget, it comes out and like, it's destroying like two weekends in a row, then it's like, all right, we gotta go see this movie. But who's doing that with like Extraction? Yeah. Like you said, we we always smash on Extraction. <laughs> sorry, Chris Hemsworth. Chrissy Hemsworth, I'm sorry, but like it's a nice movie. It, you did a you look great in it. That's that's what it There's counts, some cool right? fight scenes in it. I'll yeah. give them that. There's some not also cool yeah. fight scenes. He like gets destroyed in that movie. He's not Thor. I don't understand. <laughs> Anyways. But we're we're in this world of like forced coexistence for studios and theaters with streaming and also releases. But again, theaters are completely dependent on studios because not only do studios make the films, obviously, but they also market the films. But if the marketing is a pointing to people just to watch online, even if these movies are being released theatrically, if they're just telling you to go stream it online, theaters are just missing out on so much viewership, so much profit, and they're going to die. And I think another problem with having people select what movies to watch is... Nowadays, especially for streamers, especially, you know, Netflix and Amazon, they're not doing advertising for movies that are released just on their platforms. Like, they're famous for, like, Netflix, like, just releases a movie and, like, hey, it's out. They don't have to advertise. Because they put it on their homepage, you know? And so whenever you go on Netflix, you'll see, like, the new release of the thumbnails. And so people are motivated to watch something by something as simple as how the thumbnail looks. Rather than, you know, watching a great trailer in a theater or, or, you know, reading up on the movie or anticipating it over several months waiting for it to be released, you know, that anticipation, like we've been anticipating Dune for a long time and like it's going to be amazing to finally see it. But I think that the idea that so many people are watching things based upon a thumbnail kind of takes away the meaning of what a movie is. You know what I mean? You don't even know what the story is. You're just like, oh, here's a famous person I know with a interesting photo. Let me click on this and start playing this. I'll, I'll read a one-sentence synopsis, and here I am. I'm watching this movie, and I think there's something not quite right about that. Yeah, and outside of Marvel and DC, where is there like half a dozen, a dozen big-budget films that come out every year? That I mean, aren't some comic books, yeah. Yeah, Only so, like, and, like, Dune's one of them, for example, and, you know, James Bond, obviously, but still, Dune, I mean, James Bond's a franchise. And at the same time, these streaming platforms, they're buying up all these original successful films. Like, for example, Knives Out made a boatload of money. is a great film. We saw that in theaters and had a great time seeing it in theaters. But now Knives Out's going to be... A Netflix production, so I believe it'll probably be released theatrically in VOD at the same time, I'm sure. But 
I mean, they Netflix spent $469 million to acquire the rights to his franchise of Knives Out. So he's going to make two movies with that. And that first one made $300 million worldwide in its first release. So they're probably not going to come close to maybe what they made theatrically from the original film with the two films. And the reason why it was such a costly price tag is because what happened when streaming became really big and started making their own movies and releasing movies like Netflix original, Amazon original, um, the way that actors and filmmakers were paid was not established. Because what happened before streaming is a movie would come out and then when it gets released on television, syndicated, um, when like, you know, HBO would pay for the licensing of a movie, all the filmmakers and major actors would get royalties. And royalties are like a, ch a quarterly check that actors and producers and filmmakers receive based upon the performance of the movie after theaters, how it does in DVD sales, how it does um, on television. You know, every time The Office plays on TV, the actors get paid something. It's not a ton, but if it gets if it gets played paid enough played enough on TV, you're making like a couple thousand every day. And so what happened when streamers were making their own movies, they never established a royalty payment system for the actors and filmmakers. And so they would just pay for the movie to get made and then that was it. And so the producers and filmmakers and actors became uh they started taking legal action against streamers saying we want royalties. This is a, a standard practice in the industry. If you're using our content indefinitely, we should be getting some money for that. And so this is why Daniel Craig is getting $100 million for the two Knives Out movies, $50 million each, because they are now, they've now developed the contract negotiations um, after making deals with the, um, the guilds in the... Um, SAG? The SAG, SAG and the unions, sorry, the unions. And so they've come to an arrangement where, so Daniel Craig is getting paid $50 million because they're already calculating what his royalties would have been for theatrical and then DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming releases over time. And so they're just giving him that up front instead of him getting paid, you know, maybe a few hundred thousand over every year. From royalties, they're just giving them all up front. So that's why he's getting paid 50 mil right away. And also, why are you going to watch Knives Out 2? Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig. Exactly. That's the main draw. Yeah. So, so he, if it was theatrical, he probably would have gotten paid 20, 25 million. And then back end. Then back end plus royalties. And that would maybe over 20 years add up to 50 million. So now Netflix is like, they do it all in one hit, and then it's done. He's basically getting paid like a quarterback in the NFL right now, like 50 mil per movie. Woo! And The Rock just got paid $50 million from Amazon for a film too, right? Same reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so they're paying for the royalties in advance. So it's all coming from. That makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. I'm glad I could uh, be a service to you. Thanks so much. But I still think there's like the biggest debate for us personally is the experience. And I think, you know, theater versus the couch. You know, the couch, it's familiar. It's comfy. You got your spot. <laughs> You have, you know, the armrest that you like, or the unless, pillow adjustment. Yeah, you have, you have your snacks. Uh, you're in your socks and your PJs. You know, oh, what's your uh, favorite movie snack? My favorite, what at home? Uh, theater. Oh, theater. Uh, my go-to is, if I get a movie snack, peanut M and M's. Nice. But they also make me feel like a a big pos at the same time <laughs> because it's like 700 calories for this small bag, but they're so good. But um, again, the experience. So at home, you're on your couch, you're comfortable. You don't have to worry about going out in public. 
You don't have to worry about seeing people if you don't want to see people that night. If you're not feeling great, not in the right headspace, you don't have to worry about driving, parking, none of that. Sticky counters, which I love sometimes. You don't have to deal with those. Sticky floors. You don't have to deal with that. You don't have to deal with people on their phones, even though you're probably going to be on your phone while you're watching at home. You don't have to deal with, like, maybe someone's rude at the movie theater. You don't have to deal with some movie theater's smell. They, they don't smell great. You know I hate when people bring food right in front of me, like a, someone's eating a sausage in the chair in front of me, or, like, nachos, and I'm like, I hate Honestly, it. Honestly, even though you love going to the theater, you hate everyone that's around you. <laughs> you, you're, you. You can't stand anyone at the movie theater, unless they're just like you where they're there, and they shut everything off, and they're just like a zombie robot waiting for the film to start. <laughs> yeah, these like a serial killer waiting for the theater. I'll call people out. I will, I will tell people to be quiet. Well, that's when people, when the movie starts and people are still talking, like, yeah. Within a few I, minutes. I, I give them laser eyes. <laughs> you'll give them like two minutes, then you'll turn around and be like, all right. <laughs> but anyways, the experience at the couch at home, it's comfortable. You know, you know, the bathroom's right there. So I understand that. You know, I do that all the time. I watch movies and TV on the couch all the you time. You don't have to go to Hollywood and find parking. Yeah. It's easy. It's convenient. Whereas going to the movies, not everyone loves the experience. I personally love the experience. I get so excited and giddy on the ride to the theater. Like I'm like so amped up. We sometimes listen to the music or similar music to the film we're about to see. Generally, it's Hans Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> so we just get so amped and like we park and we're like, oh man, we're here, we're here. We pick up our tickets. I am ecstatic as soon as I'm on my way to the theater and I love getting there and I have my routine. I get a water. I'll get my peanut M&Ms. <laughs> we go to the bathroom. We go to the bathroom before we walk in the theater every single time. We have our routine that we have our tickets, which we specifically selected in the exact same spot pretty much every time. Two thirds up in the middle-ish. It's the best audio, everybody. Middle, middle. Two-thirds up, best audio for a movie theater. Um, I love it. I love the experience, and I love waiting. I shut my phone off, and I sit there, and I just people watch for about 15, 20 minutes. I love the trailers. I love the loudness of the theater. I love the smell. I love we go to pretty good theaters, so I love the seats we, we sit in. They're always comfortable. Um, I am fine with dealing with some people that text in front of me like a couple rows ahead. That's fine. I can block it out. Um, generally people are usually polite and they're usually respectful in movie theaters, but then when it's time, you know, the floodlights start to dim down and they start to go to complete darkness and you're like, oh my God, it's finally about to begin. You know, we've got the credits for, for signed copy for a Chris Nolan movie and then this cool <laughs> opening Warner Brothers logo. And then just, it's finally here when this trailer of this movie that I've watched 30 times and I've just been re doing research on the posters and the images and we've made TikToks and we've talked about it on the show and we're finally here. We're at the theater. We're about to finally watch this movie and it's amazing every time. I love it. it. I live for it. You know, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do is that entire thing that I just explained and then watch the film because there's nothing like it in theater experience of watching a two-hour film that you know is going to be great. We we don't see bad movies. You know, we know what's oh, going to yeah. be good. But the anticipation and then the outcome, the experience, and then when the movie's over and, you know, me and you just sit there for like for five minutes, we're always like, oh, my God, like, it, that was so good. And <laughs> we, we watch we the closing credits. We don't move. We're yeah. just like, oh, we watch like we read. I read like every person who was on the movie. I read all the names and I'm sitting there and just like, we're just like, do we get up? Do we not get up? Or just, no, no, uh, no, it's respectful for, to wait for the top of the line credits to yeah. end. And then when it gets to the smaller crew, then you can leave. And then we get up and leave and we just walk out and we're talking about the film and the whole car ride home. We're talking about the film and it's just a great night and experience. But that's does not happen with release with streaming VOD for me not usually even close to that because you're not in control of the movie it's playing at a theater and you can watch it or you can go to the bathroom and come back but it is not stopping for you 
It's it's this thing that is just from start to beginning, it's playing. Whereas if you watch it from home, you don't have that same understanding of like you can just pause it if you need to, or if you need to go to the bathroom, just pause it and go. If you want to make a phone call or someone's calling you, you can pause it. And so you can constantly interrupt it. But there's something different about knowing that you're not in control of the situation and you're there to experience what's being played for you. Yeah, I just feel alive at the movie theater. Yeah. I feel like I'm in a different world. You can escape whatever problems you've had that day. You know, if you're having a bad week at work or in your social life and personal life, romantically, if you're if you're having financial issues, whatever's wrong you in your life. Are you having financial issues? <laughs> I'm just like Get that sigh like, before it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're uh, having financial issues. <laughs> No, I'm solid. No, you're not. You're solid. I'm solid. I'm I have, just teasing, guys. I have, He's good. I have zero debt, all right? <laughs> I worked very hard to get rid of that. It was the sigh. <laughs> Whatever's wrong in your life, you can really find escapism really, I think, only in the movie theater for most people because most people, I mean, I think a lot of people have lost their the ability to not be distracted by things constantly. And I think the movie theaters, when you shut your phone off and you're there in the cinema, in the cinema watching the film, it's one of the real forms of escapism you can still find in the world. I also agree with everything you just said, and I have a deep love for the theater, and I have a deep love for films, but I think that there's a problem with regards to those who are in control of releasing films now, and this term has come out and has become so widely used and so regularly used over the last five years, and I'm talking about the word content. Nowadays... Studios, streaming services, corporate comp companies, they keep saying, we want content. We want more content. We're all about making content. That's what we do. <clears throat> we make content for TikTok. We make content for YouTube. But this shows like there is a lack of respect for the art of cinema, the art of you know great television by just reducing it to content. You know, a thumbnail on our homepage. You know, just another eight-hour miniseries or a two-hour movie for you to use on our streaming app. And I really think that it is dangerous for the industry. It's dangerous for the art form. And I think that that is one of the reasons for the reduction in quality in most of the content on these streaming services because they view it as just something to have for something to click on it's like a freaking ad on a website it's and i think that is one of the worst parts about what's happened in the streaming world yeah and <clears throat> this is the opinion obviously of martin scorsese where cinema's dying and i think love is probably what's been missing now and i think that for example not to keep har harping on extraction but you know <laughs> when you watch that movie there was no love put into that film no one loved put their soul and art into that, you know, but then when you go see Dune in theaters, you can see the love of all these creators and artists and what they put into it. And not that, not saying that extraction didn't have people working on it that put their entire lives into it and worked hard on it, but Dune is going to have the Dune, a movie like Dune showcases that and makes it's elevates a movie to an art form. 
Whereas movies like the the VOD original releases, they don't do that at all. But even not extractions actually doesn't even I don't think qualify because it it is better than most of the stuff that's on the streaming sites. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, it is like a lot of what's on these on Netflix. A lot of what's on Netflix is the quality in the in the storytelling, the quality in the filmmaking, the quality in the artistic visions. It's not there. They all look the same. They're all very simple stories. They're all very simple themes. Uh, the comedies aren't funny. The horror movies aren't scary. The dramas are hard to believe. And the sci-fi is corny. And even though they have enough money to make these movies, they're not, and even though, like you said, a lot of people are getting opportunities to make movies, that doesn't mean that they're all going to be great artists. You know what I mean? There are lots of movies getting made by people who aren't true visionary artists. Just wait until the holiday season because we have we've been for the last year and a half because of COVID, so many projects got the green light and expedite because like you said, they just want to put out so much content out there. Halloween season, of course, we're gonna get a bunch of horror movies, but wait until like the holiday December festival seasons. I mean festivist seasons. We're gonna get like 20 movies on each platform of like holiday films it's gonna be insane how much content is gonna be thrown in your face and this is these are all movies that were just made this year yeah you know obviously holiday movies get made every year but i'm talking like there's gonna be like 50 holiday movies released on terms of all these platforms releasing them in studios exactly and so did we need 50 holiday movies absolutely not did we mean maybe three sure but they want you to keep clicking. That's one of the that's a dra- driving force. Not so that's the I think one of the biggest problems is the driving motivation of making as many titles for the library as possible, rather than a studio trying to make as many great films as possible to release. There's a big difference. And also, I think another major issue that I have is that these corporate giants are in charge of huge numbers of production companies, huge numbers of libraries. Like I don't like the fact that Disney owns so many companies now and are overseeing the production of a vast majority of what is getting made because Disney owns Fox. Fox owned a ton of small independent films production companies. Uh, Disney owns, you know, famously Marvel, Star Wars, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, Lucasfilm, uh, Pixar, but they also own other companies that also owned smaller production companies. So, I don't like the idea of these monolith corporations, these superpower corporate daddies, being in control of a majority of what's getting made. I think that it's. I don't like the idea of that at all. I think it was inevitable, though. In the world we live like in. Like all industries. It was inevitable. I mean, we're seeing it, like we said, with jobs and remote working, but also online shopping. Amazon, I mean, in what, 10 years? How many employees is Amazon projected to have? Like 50 million or something like that? Right now, Amazon employs one out of every 176 people in It's going to be an insane amount of people are going to be working for a company like Amazon in 10 years. It's going to be ridiculous. And that's what's going to happen. I mean, and especially like MGM just got bought, bought by Amazon. Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's another example. And they have a giant catalog. And eventually probably be just like th- even fewer of these streaming services platforms, corporations that own even more. And so that's really what's happening. It, event, like really is just the corporate takeover of the entire industry, just like everything else. Yeah, it's a scary business, man. <clears throat> Scary business. Do you have any more uh, stuff that you have for notes that you want to bring up? 
Um, let me just skim through real quick. We talked a lot, like a ton, because we also have a bunch of questions that people sent us on Instagram. Let's do the questions. I think I'm about done with my notes. All right. Uh, this is Kennedy. How does it impact creators, like writers, producers, directors, etc.? Again, pros and cons. Um, like we said, a lot of stories are being told. A lot of filmmakers are getting the green light. They're getting budgets to make stories that they probably wouldn't have been able to make. So there's that's a, definitely a pro to it. And also creative control over their projects, yeah. which filmmakers are retaining from streamers. Yeah. Um, let's see. Do studios make as much per stream as they do per ticket sold? We answered that so they don't make money per stream. It's per subscription per month. And the money they're making is much less than theatrical release. All righty. Um, how will... This is from Stacey Clark. How will the move to streaming distribution affect the choices of movies that are greenlit? I think that the move to streaming distribution means just like we're taught, we've been talking about, more and more movies are being greenlit. But the but the quality yeah. of the movies is less. Lucas, why should I not pirate everything and let the old Hollywood crumble? I mean, go for it, man. What are you, the Joker? You just some men just want to watch the world burn. That's what Lucas wants to do. He just wants it all to watch it all burn down while he's streaming Hangover Part Three. <laughs> all right, this is from Jayton. You think mid-budget movies will only be going to streaming now? That is actually a scary possibility for sure. Because why is a studio going to release a? a movie like let's say the green knight comes out in five years who knows what the landscape's going to be do they even bother releasing in theaters if it's not going to make, make any money because not that's not a great movie but is anyone going to go see it the 30 to 40 million dollar budget in movies are probably going to die from theaters it's either going to be big budget blockbusters or small art house films that have tiny budgets and can make money yeah all right not dawson should i as a wannabe filmmaker worry about the future of cinema I think that you should just focus on telling stories if that's what you want to do because clearly there's never going to be a shortage of movies that want to get made by studios. And also, most people love movies and there will always be people who want to watch movies. Even if it lowers numbers, people will still love watching movies. Chris Farmer, which do you prefer, streaming or theatrical? We obviously prefer theatrical. Why are theaters 10 times better? I think the last 20 minutes just explained that. Yeah. Um, are studios making more money by releasing movies on streaming devices? Nope. Again, it, at, at first it seemed like they were making a good amount of income. They're increasing their subscription statuses. But like we said, and like Anthony pointed out earlier, as soon as COVID starts to officially wane away for, for good and you know we're getting back to society and the world's opening back up, Less people are going to subscribe. They're going to end their subscriptions because they're going to go back to the movie theaters. Hopefully. Um, yearly revenue from Jamie. We talked about that a little bit. Let's see. Captain Jones Solo. Do you think a resurrection of cinemas is possible? It kills me to see it slowly going away. I don't think really I see a resurrection of like, for example, Arclight, the movie studio, the movie theaters that went out of business in here in California. I think that basically whoever's survived up to this point will still be alive, and that's about it. But I don't think there'll be like a new big movie theater chain. I don't think anyone's gonna take a chance on that kind of investment. I I agree, and but mainly because of young people, not teens, but people under the age of ten. Um, the average kid, the no the the vast majority of kids. They prefer to watch YouTube more than anything else. If they want to watch, if they're going to watch, have a choose between a movie, a TV show, or YouTube, kids will choose YouTube. And so I think that young kids are going to be growing up not having a passion for movies. And so the audience will, audiences will not be 
as regular and consistent as they have always been. Yeah, I see just in the next 20 years just a constant down, honestly. I think it'll come back up a little bit, but I think eventually it's going to be bad for theaters in the long term. The only way that films in theaters can survive, well, not theaters, but but films in the future, I'm talking like 50 years, the only way they'll be able to survive, because like I said, young kids, they're going to be 50 and most of them aren't going to be seeing theater movies. They're going to be whatever the content is for people. I think that if filmmakers implement virtual reality in movies, that will create a new experience for the moviegoer where they can insert themselves into the scenes of movies. And that, I think, is a way for cinema to survive. That's an interesting incentive to go to a theater, yeah. for sure. But again, I think that we don't know what the world's going to look like, not even just because of streaming and movies, but because of what COVID's done to the to the culture and to the world and how businesses run now. So who knows if, if that is going to have a huge impact on people going to the theaters just alone, let alone streaming. Yeah. So we don't we don't know, you know. Um, even drawings, do you think streaming services should just do TV shows and not movies? I don't. I don't think so. I mean... It is what it is. These studios all own the same, all types of content, TV, movies, music. So obviously they're going to put it all out there. But oh yeah, it's, I think it's it's fine for them fine. to have TV yeah, for movies and TV. Yeah. Let's see, Peachy. Do you think streaming services will eventually put theaters out of business? We kind of just answered that. I think that it's not a good sign. I I think they may, but not for another several decades. All right, um, Connor Mac. Do you think we will see theaters slash prices to combat streaming? I don't think so because, again, the studios make a cut of ticket sales. Yeah. I don't think the studios want to lose any money, let alone what they've already lost. Because it's a shared profit, they they won't go much lower than they are now. Just Gladwin, what are your best memories from streaming versus what are your best memories from going to the theaters? So theater, I would say Dark Knight and IMAX. Ooh, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that yeah. was awesome. That, yeah, that, that's probably it for me, that's too. Probably my Maybe favorite. Inception and IMAX, too. Inception and IMAX. And Chris Nolan movies in general. <laughs> <laughs> Best streaming memory. Um, I mean, this is exactly what we mean. Um, Mine was um The Irishman I watched. We saw it in theaters. Oh, wait, yeah, we did see that in theaters. <laughs> in a packed, packed theater. Okay, awesome. I would say House of Cards from Netflix. Okay, but that's a TV show. I think they're asking about movies, but I guess you they could said say. experience. I guess so. streaming experience. You know what? You did answer the question correctly, so I'll give you that. Thank you. So House of Cards. That was an excellent show. Yeah. Um, a couple of pros and cons each by Reese Salt. We answered that pretty much. Um, let's see. Rocky Troop, is the, is the streaming over theaters more affordable for people? I don't know, honestly, because if you're somebody who subscribes to a bunch of streaming services, who knows? It's It's... It depends on how many movies you see a year. If you're paying for, you know, was HBO Max, what, $14 a month? If you're paying $150 plus for your HBO plus HBO Max subscription versus what? If you see 10 movies a year, that's probably pretty even. But if you have HBO Max and Net and Amazon, everyone has Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon's 15 So that's 30 bucks right there. So that's two movies right there a month. And if you have stars, if you have this. So I think yeah. it just depends on how many you subscribe to personally and how many movies you actually would normally see in theaters per year versus the past year and a half because this is, again, during COVID. It also depends on what state you live in based upon the cost of living because seeing a movie in Missouri is a lot cheaper than seeing a movie in New York City. Mm -hmm. All right. This is actually a really good question from Toasted Ice Cream. Do you think directors, actors, and everyone will be paid less as streaming takes on? 
This is actually an interesting question. Well, because, I answered that with the royalties. Yeah, true, but still, e- even going further down the road, it's kind of reminds me of like football and how much like quarterbacks are being paid right now, even though ticket sales are kind of just in like still the same in terms of what the owners are making and how many people go to see the players at the stadium, but even how it's less people going to the stadium because of COVID like that, but these players are still making absurd amounts of money. Will there be a time where Danny Craig, people like that don't get a $50 million check because the studios are losing so much money? Maybe if it gets to that point, then studios would be like, we need to push movies to theaters more. I think that stars will always drive eyes. So I think that stars will always make a lot of money, which is why the quarterbacks always make a ton of money. And that's why offensive players tend to make a lot more than defensive players because the offense is generally the most exciting part of a football game. So I think that when you have movie stars or famous directors, they're always going to get paid. Good point. All right. People love celebrity. Aofi Leaf, what are your thoughts on cinema versus accessibility for disabled, chronically ill people, etc.? Again, that's one of the pros that we talked about to streaming. You know, a lot of people, it's hard for them to get to a theater. Um, it's maybe not the easiest experience for them. So then being in the comfort of their own home, that's definitely a pro for streaming services. And oftentimes the handicap areas are at the front of the theater, which is the the worst angle to view a movie in a theater. All right, Grayson Younts, why do people want theaters to die? Movies are made to be experienced in a theater. I don't think it's people like being like, I want the theaters to just die, just die <laughs> theaters. I think that they just either have an apathetic attitude towards movie theaters at this point, like how Anthony was talking about how kids these days, the Gen Z and younger, there's really into YouTube. I think there's people just have a uncaring attitude towards the movie theater nowadays compared to, again, the access of streaming is absurd. Yeah, and also, it's just a lot of younger, and when I say younger, I mean kids, they don't have the passion for cinema, and they don't have the passion for movies, so they, like you said, are apathetic about it. This is an excellent question. Coyote's Culture, do you think production companies will have their own theaters, such as Disney, Netflix? Maybe... I really don't see corporations like that investing a crazy amount of money into these giant chains of movie theaters. It's possible. I I mean, I could see a world where that is. But again, I think the thing with corporations is what was so appealing about the streaming platforms doesn't cost that much money to get these platforms going. You know, you just have a bunch of people writing some code and you have all all the access to the movies and content in general. But having to build the infrastructure of an entire theater, I don't know if they would care to take that investment compared to what they could possibly receive on a profitable return because, again, all they care about is making money. I would say, I would agree with you, no, because it would be an absurd amount of money to be able to build enough theaters to end up making profits. Um, You'd have to build, because there are over 4,500 theaters in America, so you'd have to build literally a couple of thousand theaters around the country, and then also you have employees and it would just, I think it'd be way too cost, costly for studios to do that. Sonia, how do streaming services gauge if a movie is successful financially? Again, I think when we talked about the Eddie Murphy film and just the streaming in general, that they're basically just going off plays and, sh- and clicks. I mean, like we said, they're not getting paid per click, per view. So 
the, it's, basically, six, it's a subscription monthly monthly six, subscriptions <laughs> a movie a successful movie depends upon just how many people click on it yeah. for them not how much money it makes uh arian or a a ryan do you think we'll ever go back to the precious of dominated movie theater culture um unfortunately i think that's just dying more and more every year and again i think covid just really took a sludge hammer to the film industry in terms of the movie theaters and that art form and the experience of going to the cinema. Of course, I mean, when we saw Green Knight, it was packed. But does that last for a movie release more than five days, more than a weekend? Probably not. The big blockbuster movies are still going to be getting big crowds, but it's not going to be like it used to be. All right, what else do we got here? Um, A lot of the same questions we've been answering... Um, here's this, Jay Milk's 14. Why are most movies produced for streaming sites so mediocre? Again, they're trying to get the content, content, content over out, quality as fast as possible. You know, as long as it's lit well, you know, it looks good. Boom, boom, boom. Let's make this, let's do it six months, get this movie written, filmed, edited, exported onto Netflix. Let's go. Like, they just, it's just content, content, For them, content. it doesn't matter the quality because if you have, the more choices you have, the more time you spend on their app. That's what it comes down to. All right, we'll do one more. Um, CR data. What are the best types of content that work better streaming than theaters? TV, obviously. Well, yeah. I would say miniseries work great. Yeah, miniseries do do work yeah. really well. We're seeing that a lot more often with a lot of famous directors. They're going in the route of like serial content miniseries. I think like Barry Jenkins just signed on to do a miniseries, so a lot of directors are just he did the Underground Railroad. They're able to see. They're able to like we said tell stories that they wouldn't have been able to before streaming yeah. long format storytelling yeah so that's a pro for yeah. sure that's an awesome awesome pro yeah but um yeah i i think that wraps up everything we got to talk about that was a fun one yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this episode on streaming versus theaters um that was a nice change of pace it was good to get some great discussions going on yeah. let us know if you're watching on youtube what you prefer in terms of streaming and theaters leave the comments on the video but at this point, we will do our Patreon shout-out for our top-tier patrons who are in the $10 category. Now, let's begin. Thank you all. Starting with Justin, Caleb Fleming, Michael Caranja, Riley McDonald, Nate Moore, Harry Roscoe, Caitlin Signorelli, Travis Ball, Nicola Simeona, Jacob Kostler, Josh Chetney, Dennis, Jorge Chavez, Caleb McFalls, Ken Bolin, Dennis, Aaron McArdle, Sal Guanera, Max Rosk, Justin T. Frank, Tyler McDowell, Lauren Smurz, Grayson Younce, Cole Carroll, Christopher Tunnel, Tanner Teagarden, Madison Jaramillo, Barrett Compton, Andy Walker, TJ Rollins, Andrew Lukler, Nick Sheridan, aka Sherry, Hunter Smith, Carter Brandon, Nicholas Ozaniak, Timon Hayashi, Caitlin Callahan, Sarai Rogers, Charles McLaughlin, Brandon Smith, Ethan Storm, Devin Udarium, Lucas Key, Derek Noonan, William Kalimano, Miriam Ally, Brooke Shanks, Stephen Guidos, Zach Kormanek, Simon Tuz, Brittany Underwood, Jeremy Slattery, Jeremy Benavitez, Cody Moan, Samantha Steele, Frank Caraglio, Michael Kelly, Brandon Bernal, Dave Coburn, Josh Coburn, Jill Lopez, Rachel Von Den Heuvel, 
Don Payne, Kayla McCoy, Brian Barton, Archie Owen, Derek Perkins, Daniel, a.k.a. Dan Just the Man. Or no, Just the Dan Man, sorry. Just Dan the Man. Just Dan the Man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jack Jordan, Olivia Pacini, Megan Costa, Costa, sorry, Chris Farmer, Patrick Clawson, Desiree Clawson, Luke Clark, Joanna Tronina, Anthony Lampares, Colleen Medier, Colleen, sorry, Colleen Medler, Matthew Fires, Britton Bomber, who I think that was who wrote the review too. Awesome. Thanks. Mm. Thanks, bud. Spencer Pike, Gabrielle Townsend, who's our bud on Instagram, Anthony Farmer, Lauren Kimberly, Maxwell McCree, Hayden Hensley, Odin Childs, Evan Smith, and Leslie. 85 top tier patrons. You all are amazing. This show is running because of you all. We really yeah. appreciate you so much. Yeah, we have over 200 patrons now. So yeah. it's really incredible just the outreach and the support you all have been showing. Again, we always say all the time, we didn't think we get a single patron. Yeah. And, and it, like, this is incredible. And it makes working on the show so much fun to know that we have such passionate fans that really enjoy the show so much to, you know, give a little to us. And we really, really appreciate it, everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, so much. You all are amazing. If you want to be a patron, just go to patreon.com slash readers of lost podcast today to sign up only costs two bucks for a minimum, then $5 and $10. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode around the world. Take care. Bye everyone. Raiders of the lost podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.